we continue our study in the life of Christ, I want to direct my challenge to, of course, Kevin and Mary this morning, but also to us as we consider what we are doing here this morning. It may seem like an ordinary service to you, but it is most certainly not. Any time anyone gives their life to preach the gospel around the world, it is a big deal. It may not make headlines in the Jacksonville Times, but it makes headlines in heaven. It is a big deal. Missions is a life calling for all of us. And you are either a missionary or you are a mission field. It's not like some people go share the gospel and others don't. It's like some people share the gospel and others are disobedient. And so when we as a church, commit thousands of dollars a month and our own people and resources and time and energy to do this, what we are saying is this is a really big deal. And I I don't want to look at a church budget and say that I've spent more money on cookies for Christmas parties than for people to hear about Jesus across the globe. And we got to put our money and our time and our resources where our mouth is. And this is how we do it. We give, we go, we pray, we serve. And that's how we get the gospel around the world. This is what I want to be known for. And everybody's known for something. And people that give their life to missions leave a legacy. This legacy is what we should all strive for. And remember this. You will be remembered for something. I've had the unique privilege of traveling to 48 out of 50 states. I have not been to North and South Dakota, mainly because there's very few people that live there. Uh, There's very few churches there, obviously. And, and most of my traveling has been related to preaching and ministry, and, and uh, I don't travel for fun. I travel for business. <laughs> and in all my travels, and I, I, I have the, the privilege of, of going to a lot of unique places, places that, you know, I'll show up in a town and somebody will say, hey, would you like to go see this? Now, early on when I traveled years and years ago, I, I, I took up everybody on all of those. Yeah, this is the blueberry capital of the world. Great, let's go see blueberries. Or, or this is the home of the, you know, the world's largest pumpkin. Oh, great, let's go, let's go see the world's largest pumpkin. Now, I don't, I don't concern myself hardly at all with those things. But occasionally, I will get invited to go see something that is very intriguing to me. In fact, uh, a couple years back, I was speaking in Philadelphia area of Pennsylvania, and I was invited to go up to New Jersey uh, and, and to the Princeton Cemetery. Now that, I know, shows you just how strange I am, okay? But, of course, Princeton is the famed Ivy League school. Princeton, as you may be aware, was founded as a 
missionary training school, as were the other Ivy League schools for the most part. And so historically, there were a number of amazing preachers and and Christians that that were in that area of New Jersey, and and many of them were buried at the Princeton Cemetery, including uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist preacher. And so I, I was really interested in that, and we went, we went up there, and we, we, we found they have, a, they have a map of the uh, 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 cemetery plots there. And so I, I got one of those maps and found out where Jonathan Edwards was buried, uh, very near to Aaron Burr, who was the vice president of the United States, uh, in this really unique section, kind of like the prestigious section, if you will. There's, there's, there's the regular cemetery, and then there's the prestigious kind of part of the cemetery, but I saw that, and, and I took my pictures there with Jonathan Edwards' uh, uh, headstone and, and read all the stuff and walked around that area for a while. And then I had about 30 extra minutes, and so I just started walking around uh, in the graveyard again. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a beautiful uh, day. It was a little cool. It was uh, sunny, but it was cold. And, and I just, I, I don't know why I'm so strange about this, but I just started walking around and reading every headstone I could read, and I remember coming across a whole family section, uh, the Alexander family. Now, if you are a theology student, any kind of historical theology student, the Alexander name would have rung a bell. Uh, These were, uh, and the Hodge family, these would have been theologians back in the 1700s, people that wrote theology books, so I'm all in now. I'm looking at at headstones, and I've seen uh, Alexander Hodge, and I think Charles Hodge is there buried, and and then I I, I ran across this, this, this tombstone of a pastor, I'd never heard of him, last name Alexander, and, and I read his, his name and his, his, his birth date and his death date, and then, and then it said the date of his birth and the date of his death. This is all it said. He opened to us the scriptures. And I stopped what I was doing, and I pulled out my phone, and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to Angie, and I said, this is what I want on my tombstone should I die. Now, I'm not looking to die tomorrow. I'm not looking for the next train out of here, but if it happens, that's a really good thing to be known for. I don't know anything about the guy. never heard of him, never heard of his church, but it was said by him of his church that this is a man that opened to us the scripture. Not too far from there, I was able to go to uh, uh, Mount Hermon. And, and, and uh, up in Massachusetts, which was where Dwight Moody was raised and where he lived, he also started some colleges there to train missionaries. And Angie and I uh, uh, went on this particular trip, and it was a very cold and snowy day when we went to visit that place. And I remember seeing the place where Moody was buried, and when he died in 1899, right around Christmas time. And, and I, 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 I looked in the windows as best I could of the home that he grew up in, and then I walked around uh, down the hill just a little bit to, uh, to a chapel where they used to hold these uh, Christian services. And, and, and outside there was a giant rock and plaques everywhere where names and locations and dates were given. Places where young couples and young families gave their lives in the student missionary movement. Hundreds, literally hundreds of names, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so went to Honduras, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, went to China and gave a date. And I remember just, I'm standing there in some of the, the richest history trying to like imagine and, and think to myself, what must have this been like? What must it have been like to be a church, a, a college, and, and, and preach and implore people to go to the mission field to serve God only to find that many of them did, hundreds of them did. 
And I've been to these places where these memorials stand as a testament to the life that was lived. And every one of us are going to be there one day. Every single one of us will have a time when our life is over. Every single one of us will have a time when they are going to bury you just like your relatives, just like your ancestors. They're going to bury you six feet underneath of the dirt. And when it's all said and done, they're going to erect a stone. It may be plain. It may be simple. And more important than what is said on your stone is what people have remembered about you and the legacy that you have left. There's where we find ourselves at the end of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter number 26, when this very amazing story takes place, beginning at verse number 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, They were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Amen. Here we are. 2,000 years later, telling the story that Jesus said would be told of her. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning on leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. Here we find Jesus has just finished the Olivet Discourse. He's crossed over the Mount of Olives. He's entered into the nearby town of Bethany, which was a very frequent pit stop for him. This is the home of Lazarus and his sisters. A place that was dear to Jesus' heart. A place that uh, Jesus loved. The word Bethany means the place of suffering. A place where there was great suffering and yet great resurrection and great healing and great blessing. In his one final stop before he's going to enter back into and have the last supper with his disciples, there's one final event that is going to take place before Jesus Christ dies on the cross after having spent that night with his disciples. And it was simply this. A woman is going to anoint his body for his burial. Now if you back up to verse number 1 of the text, the Bible says, It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these things, saying these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So this would be Wednesday. This is Wednesday of the Passion Week. You say, well, I think Jesus died on Thursday. Well, help yourself, friend. If you want to spend your life trying to debate and argue about when Jesus died, that's totally fine with me, okay? Uh, If we go with the traditional day of Friday, Jesus died on Good Friday, then this is taking place on Wednesday. On Thursday night, Jesus is going to spend that last night with his disciples. Are y'all following me here? We're talking about walking on sacred ground here. We're talking about two days before the most important event in human history takes place. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, listen, I am getting ready to be crucified on the Passover 
Passover for the sins of the world. And then he goes into Bethany, and when he sits down in the presence of Simon the leper and all these people, this woman recognizes the moment for what it is, and she breaks a flask of alabaster, and she pours out the fragrant oil of spikenard on the presence and the face and the body of Jesus Christ, according to Jesus, anointing him for his burial, doing this as an honor, as a, as a, as a statement of respect, love, and, 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 uh, and, and, and saying that Jesus was worthy. And in doing so, Jesus says, this honoring of my death, this honoring of my burial, and this honoring of the reason why I'm here is worthy for all of us to remember. And I'm saying to you, friend, that what missions really is and what Christianity really is, it is about living our lives in honor and it is living our lives in respect and worthy praise of the one who laid his life down for all of us on Calvary 2,000 years ago. So I ask you the question, what was so significant about this? Or maybe I could ask it like this. How does one leave a legacy worth leaving? Now listen, you're going to leave a legacy. Every one of us. You're going to be known for something. Your life is going to say something when it's all over. I am saying to you that the only thing worth saying when it's all said and done is that Jesus Christ is worth it all. And the only way for us to do that is to do whatever this woman did, and that is this. First of all, she provided a demonstration of overwhelming gratitude. What is a life worth living? What is a legacy worth leaving? It is this. It is a demonstration of overwhelming gratitude. Why would somebody go to the mission field? Why would somebody leave their three adult children here in the United States of America and fly halfway around the globe to go where they do not know a soul and to labor in a difficult country at risk uh, near even China? with all kinds of volatility, why would someone do that? Well, the reason that someone would do that is because they have an overwhelming gratitude for what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And I would say to you that that is fundamentally and exactly what living our lives in this gospel-centered way says. For what should we be thankful for? Well, we should first of all be thankful for the fact that Jesus Christ did in fact die on the cross for our sins. We should be thankful, second of all, for the healing and miraculous touch that Jesus has brought to all of our lives. Maybe you missed what I tried to drop from verse number 6, but let me read it again to you. And when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, oh, hang on just for a minute. Here Jesus, in the last night of his life, before he goes back to his disciples to have the Passover, come on spends this evening, y'all surely aren't hearing what I'm trying to drop, spends his evening in the house of Simon the leper, meaning Jesus was willing to go where everybody else fled. Come on. Jesus was willing to touch who everybody was trying to avoid. Jesus was willing to minister to everybody, uh, to, to one who everybody else had completely given up on. Lepers were outcasts. Lepers were doomed. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. This man was discarded by society, alienated from his friends and family, and yet one touch from the master healed his leprosy and made him whole again. And while he was a new creature and he was, that he was uh, now a believer, and a follower of Christ, he still had that name attached to him, Simon the leper. You want to know why? No doubt he never got over or past what Jesus had done in his life. And maybe some of you have. God help us, friend, 
to never forget what hole God drug you out of. What mess Jesus cleaned you up. Come on now. What mess Jesus cleaned you up from. What sin Jesus was willing to forgive you. Yes, yes, I am thankful today not only for the cross of Calvary and what it means and what it represents, but I'm thankful personally for the fact that Jesus Christ transformed this leper and made him whole and was willing to set and eat and feast and love and serve me even though I didn't deserve it. Then watch this. Not only was she no doubt thankful for the death of Jesus, she was also thankful for what Christ had done in the life of Simon the leper. But I just also want to just point out one other thing here, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, this was also a special and sacred place for another reason. This same Mary is the same one who her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead in this very town. What a place. What a miraculous place. What a place of resurrection. What a place of new chances. What a place of fresh starts. That's what Jesus does in our lives. And why would I live my life to preach the gospel, to pastor a church, or to be a missionary, or to share Christ in my workplace as a workplace missionary? Why would we go start churches? Why would we spread ourselves out like this? It's very simple. We're thankful for Jesus. That's why. Number one, it was a demonstration of overwhelming gratitude. Number two, it was a provision of reasonable sacrifice. It was a provision of reasonable sacrifice. How can you leave a legacy? Well, you make a provision of reasonable sacrifice. Now, it says here in verse number 7, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask. Now, alabaster would have been similar to what we would say would be like a marble countertop. You don't just put marble in your home unless you've got a lot of money. Now, I've got that other stuff. I don't know what it's called. It's supposed to look like it, but it's not really it. Um, Dave, you probably know what it's called. But it's, it's, uh, it looks nice. It's, it's fancy, but it's not, it's not marble. You would only put marble in your house if you had a lot of money and you had money just to spend and, 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 and make your house a bit exquisite. That's what alabaster was like. This particular box, the text here says flask, it was actually... Uh, kind of think more like a, like a long neck bottle. Not that any of you ever drink that kind of stuff, but you think in terms of a, a bottle that had a long neck on it. So, so it was a flask. It was a bottle that had been sealed. This, ba- this, ba- this, this, this flask would have been first broken. You had to break the neck of the flask. Literally to get inside to the contents, you would have had to destroy the container. And then... It says she poured out, look at this, very costly fragrant oil. Mark's gospel calls it spikenard, which identifies what it was. It was a very expensive frankincense level type ointment and oil. So not only was the container significantly expensive, what was in there was significantly expensive. In fact, look at what the disciples said. Why is this waste? This oil might have been sold uh, for much and given to the poor. In fact, Mark's gospel, again, I think it's in chapter 13, identifies that this would have been worth two years worth of working wages. Now think about this, guys. This text is so easy to blow through and look over as if, as if we just, oh yeah, she put some oil on Jesus. No, no, no. She put a lot more than just oil on Jesus. Now, now, now the average household income in Jacksonville, Florida is about $65,000 a year. That's combined income. 
Now, I just want you to imagine for just a second, you had something worth $130,000 right now. For most of us, the only thing that would even be close in that ballpark would be our homes. Can you imagine right now deciding that Jesus was so worthy of your affection, of your love, that you would go and sell your house and don't take the proceeds to buy a better or bigger house. Take the proceeds and give it all to Jesus and then spend the rest of your life renting somewhere with no more equity because you believed that Jesus was so worthy that you would be willing to do that. That is about the level of what this girl did that day. Two years wages. And I'm just saying to you, you, you're, you said, well, preacher, you're talking about a reasonable sacrifice. That doesn't seem like a reasonable sacrifice. No, no in fact, uh, far more than that is actually reasonable. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, completely separated unto God, which is your reasonable service. Meaning, yeah, $120,000 is a lot of money. But essentially, Jesus says, let me tell you what's actually reasonable. When you give your entire life to this. So Kevin and Mary, I would tell you, if you ever get discouraged and you ever struggle and you ever feel lonely, let me tell you, at the end of the day, it is, it's astonishing to us what you are doing. I, I'm, I admire it. I'm thankful for it. But I want to remind you, it's just a reasonable service. I mean, the fact is, I could give every bit of everything that I am every day of my life for the rest of my life and for that matter for all of eternity. And it would be reasonable, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be reasonable to give everything I had, go anywhere God wanted me to go, serve anybody that God wanted me to serve? And I'm here to tell you, young people, young adults, young married couples, I'm here to tell you, there is a big world out there that needs Jesus. And he is worthy of every ounce of time, every dime of money, and every mile of road we would travel to preach Christ to someone. It's reasonable. (laughs) Then number three, of course you can imagine this. You must receive the indignation of misguided disciples. Uh, look at this. This is great. Verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. Saying, why this waste? This could have been sold for much and given to the poor. Misguided disciples. Can you imagine what is thought of of a family like this? So let me get this straight. You're leaving America, and you're moving to the other side of the world. Now, why can't you just, like, give to missions here? Why can't you just serve the poor here? Why can't you just do it? Can you see the reasoning of these misguided disciples? I know this. Anytime anyone is serious about their faith, anytime anyone is sacrificial in their giving, anytime anyone is committed to the gospel, you are going to be completely misunderstood and misrepresented all the time, even by well-meaning people. Because here's the thing, there are people that identify what true faith is by religion, not by service to Jesus Christ. It makes sense, right? Why not give this money and serve the poor? Because in their mind, an act of religious service was the pinnacle of Christian faith. Why did you do that when you could do this? You see that? But in actuality, the pinnacle of Christian faith is loyalty to and a life given in complete sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And when people do that kind of thing, 
People don't understand it. I'm here to remind our church here this morning that every time a couple is sent out of our church or a family is sent out of our church, there's a lot we stand to lose. I've never sent a family out of this church that did not faithfully give to this church. I've not ever sent a family out of this church, nor will I uh, send somebody out of this church to be a pastor or a missionary somewhere who wasn't faithfully serving God in this place. So when we give somebody like that, we're giving away our own dollars. We're giving away our own servants, our own nursery workers, our own teachers, our own, our own, our own uh, uh, disciples. We're giving those people away. Notice I didn't say giving them up. I said giving them away. Because what we are saying by doing this is we are not going to be the misguided disciples who believe that the purpose of the church is to gather and grow. But the purpose of the church is to send and scatter. And so when we do this, we're not going to sit back and say, oh, what could we do if we kept? Oh, no, no, no. What do we get to do because we give? Finally, if you're going to leave a legacy, you must have a recognition of an approved work, which is found beginning in verse number 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. In other words, basically, she got it. If, if, I, could, if I could say that verse another way, Jesus is basically saying, guys, guys, settle down. She gets it. She gets it. She understands the significance of the moment. She understands the opportunity. She took full advantage of it. Leave her alone. She gets it. Now, the question I'm going to leave for all of us today is, do we get it? Do we get it? Now, we're going to end this service today by praying and sending out Kevin and Mary as a reasonable sacrifice. Now, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to flip to one other place here in Acts chapter 13. Would you go there? I want you guys to see this. We will do this every time. Every time somebody is sent out from this church as a reminder that we are doing what God has instructed us to do. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Manaenon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So, how does this work? Well, the way that a call to ministry works is twofold. Number one, there's an inward call. God speaks to the people who are called. Uh, it can happen personally, privately, it can happen corporately in a church service, but God begins to speak to a person, impressing on them the need to become a missionary or a pastor or a Christian worker. It's called an inward call. If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's a call. It, it happens on the inside. It is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God calls people. On the inside, it's personal. 
God speaks to them, and God has spoken to Mary, and God has spoken to Kevin. And God has shown them a great need in a, a country of millions of people with very little gospel work. And then there's an outward call. It's, it's a recognition. It's in the laboratory of a local church where God affirms that a person has been called. And so as they serve, as the text said, as they ministered, as they prayed, as they fasted, in the context of the church, God speaks to the whole assembly and says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. There is no official call to ministry without the affirmation of a local church. And so oftentimes we see people get called to ministry and then the first thing we do is ship them off to the nearest Bible college and we never see them again. The problem with that is there's no affirmation. People should be faithful in serving, faithful in giving, faithful in witnessing in their church as a demonstration that they have been called. How many of you ever heard it said, you don't become a missionary by crossing an ocean? If you're not serving God here, you're not going to serve him there. So missions begins in the church, and then missions is recognized by the church, and then missions is affirmed by the church, and then those people that are called are sent by God out to the work that God has called them to. And the Bible says when they laid their hands on them, we're going to do that in just a minute, the laying of the hands is symbolic. It doesn't. I, when I lay my hands on Kevin Bennett and the, and the church leaders join me to do that, I, I am not... I am not affirming him in the sense of calling him or empowering him. I have no power. But the laying on of the hand is a symbol. It is a symbol that there is another hand at work, the hand of God. And the hand of God that is called and worked and supplied, we are affirming together as a church to say we believe that God has put his hand on this family. And that's what we do this morning as we dismiss. So Kevin and Mary, why don't you guys come? I like to ask all of our pastors, and uh, even if you're if you're here, not a pastor here, but maybe you're an ordained pastor, uh, any of our deacons and pastors, I want you guys to come church. I want you to join with us as we uh, pray over this family um, and send them to the field. Come on up, guys, and I want to just ask you to join me um, as we pray, thanking God uh, for what He has done, and yet sending another one of our families to serve him on the field. So would you join with me in prayer? Would you do that? And I will lead us in a word of dedication of prayer. Heavenly Father, today we come to you in the name of Jesus, believing that the gospel must go around the world that you died for the sins of not just Americans, but of Filipinos and Haitians, Chinese, Japanese, African, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every people. And Lord, all we're doing is seeking to obey you when you say, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Today we are thankful that you have privileged our church by giving us a family dedicated to you, dedicated to the cause, faithful in their work, faithful to each other. 
And God, today we send them gladly and with your fullest expectation of blessing and power and authority from Jesus Christ to go and build churches and rescue sinners and restore families and start orphanages and schools and colleges to see the work replicated yet again and again and again and again until you tarry while you tarry your coming. Lord, our prayer is that you will keep them, is that you will preserve them, is that you will guide them, is that you will anoint them. And God, as they go on Tuesday, you will provide safety. And Lord, when they're in the Philippines for a couple months, may you just affirm their work with souls saved there. And then, Lord, as they make their way in your timing and as you open up doors, we pray, Lord, for a church to be established in Hong Kong. And, Lord, we pray that that work will prosper. And, Lord, we pray that you'll be with Matt and Mike and Angela as they're here in the States. I pray that they will know your presence. They will know your parenthood in the absence of their parents. God, use us to hold the lifeline and the rope of support and prayer. Help us to ever be mindful that there are more churches and more countries that need Jesus. So God, I pray now for your blessing and we give them to you gladly for your protection and for your help in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's thank the Bennett's one more time.